Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in to episode four. We. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 1st, 2021, people. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, are you guys and girls lucky. We got ourselves an episode late Sunday reacting to the Lincoln Riley news. If you missed that, go back and download that. We got an episode Monday reacting to the Brian Kelly news. If you missed that, go ahead and download that. Today is Wednesday. I think I said, but I don't remember what day it is. I, the point is, it is Wednesday, third episode of the week, and this is the idea for today's episode, okay? The idea is very simple. Let's just kind of take a deep breath. And think about everything that we have seen here over the last 48 to 72 hours and really just, just digest. Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, what does it mean? And then I think what we'll do is we'll play a fun game, which is this. Which coach will win a national championship at their new school first? Now, there's obviously a chance that neither one does. There's a chance that both do. But who does it first? I think there are pluses and minuses for both. It'll be a fun segment. I promise you'll enjoy it. From there, we'll talk a little bit about what's next at Notre Dame uh, Notre Dame, of course, their first coaching search in 12 years. Oklahoma, by the way, is in the middle of their first coaching search in 20-plus years. So we'll talk a little bit about both of those schools. From there, take a quick break. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong returns. I think it'll be really fun today with the crossover of college basketball with college football. Plenty to react to. Speaking of college hoops, maybe do some quick stuff on the Big Ten ACC Challenge. It remains to be seen. It just depends on time and if we have time for all that. If not, we'll hit on plenty of it on Friday show because the Big Ten ACC Challenge in basketball is going on right now. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is really the topic of the week, and it is the craziness across college football and the coaching carousel. Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to Notre Dame, or to LSU, Brent Pry to Virginia. Okay, nobody cares about somebody named Brent Pry going to Virginia Tech. But Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to LSU, insanity, about $300 million guaranteed going to the two of them, if you believe the reports on Lincoln Riley. But I just bring it up to say this. On, my, on Tuesday's show, I said that the Brian Kelly, I said that the, the, the Tuesday show was kind of waking up from the hangover that was the entire coaching carousel. You kind of wake up, you rub your eyes, you're like, what just happened? That is the hangover after a long weekend. 
Well, what happens when you wake over, wake up from the hangover, and then you go out for mimosas for brunch, you get drunk again on a Sunday, and you wake up Monday, and you got to go to work, and you're waking up in some stranger's apartment? Well, that's basically where we're at today on Wednesday, as it is just insanity. It is still like, like I do this for a living. I think to think about Lincoln Riley at USC, Brian Kelly at LSU, it is incredible. It is say insane. It is so unreal. And now it is time to peel back the layers. And as I peel back the layers, the one thing that struck me is I thought about each of these hires individually. And I'm just talking, of course, about Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to Notre Dame, not any of the other ones. Although, again, Brent Pride of Virginia Tech, that's really going to move the needle on a show like this. But Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, the one thing that I realized is this. As weird as it sounds, you think about the two of them, you think they really have kind of nothing in common, right? Uh, Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, born in Texas, coached in Oklahoma. Brian Kelly, born in Massachusetts, coached in the Midwest. You think about the fact cold weather versus south. You think about the fact of, of uh, you know, offensive genius versus kind of more of a CEO head coach. Young versus old. They don't really have much in common. But the more that I peel back the layers, the more that I realize that these two programs, maybe uniquely, you could probably maybe put Georgia in this scenario right now, they're kind of in this unique ecosystem in college football, right? Because there are those two, three, four teams at the top that every single year are in the national championship race. There is, of course, Alabama, the gold standard, Clemson most years, Ohio State most years. Then there's everybody else, right? There is everybody trying to get to that level, especially at the group of five level. You, that's where your schools like Miami come in, Florida State come in, USC comes in, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, those schools that are trying to elevate, trying to do what it takes, Texas A&M, to get to that level. Then you have Oklahoma and Notre Dame, which were in just this unique ecosystem by themselves. They were elite programs, not good, elite, elite programs. Lincoln Riley went to three playoffs in his first, four, in his first three years, overall won four Big 12 titles. This year was a little bit of a down year at 10-2 overall. Brian Kelly, I've talked about him a ton, but the last four years, he has won, uh, you know, four, he's gone 44 and six. But they're also in this unique situation where each coach has coached in multiple playoffs, multiple playoff appearances. There's only six coaches ever, by the way, that have coached in multiple playoffs, as best I can tell. Uh, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, Brian Kelly, and of course, Lincoln Riley. And so I bring all that up to just say, um, you know, you look at this whole scenario and you look at what is going on and Notre Dame and Oklahoma were in this weird ecosystem where they're really good, but they're not quite good enough, where they're almost at the champion, where you, where you can't really complain even if you're a fan because you appreciate what they've done and how good they've done at your school, but they also haven't reached the ultimate prize. And it's really funny. I was thinking about this today. I even remember talking to Nick Coffey about this when Nick Coffey used to join me regularly on this show. The first year we launched it was the year that Oklahoma had played Alabama in the playoff. It was Tua versus Kyler Murray, if you remember. Alabama jumps out to like a 28-0 lead. They end up winning the game. Kyler won the Heisman, but Tua won the game. And I remember asking Nick Coffey about this. I said, Oklahoma has to be in the weirdest position imaginable because you can't really complain if you're a fan because you are in the playoff, but you are also not at that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State tier. I think in the last couple of years, Notre Dame has been there as well. 
two playoff appearances in the last three years, gets smoked by Clemson in 2019 or 2018, gets smoked by Alabama last year, and you realize that you're not that close. And so I think both coaches were kind of in this weird situation with their fans. No, let's not be crazy. They were not going to get fired. They were beloved. They were revered. That's not what I'm saying at all. But at the same time, it was kind of like, one, can I even win at this school? And I think both of them maybe had that realization in the last year. I think Lincoln Riley, as soon as the SEC happened, thing happened, I will be convinced to my death that Lincoln Riley said, I cannot compete with this program in the SEC at the highest level. I can do it if I have to play them one time a year in the college football playoff. I cannot do it if I have to play them eight times a year in the SEC. And people say he's ducking the SEC. No, I think he's smart. I think he's tactical. I think he realizes that the path at USC is much easier, that the path at Oklahoma would have been much easier if they had stayed in the Big 12. The administrators at his school chose to go to the SEC for money reasons without taking into consideration that if he has a 7-5 and five year in there somewhere in the mix, that he, he may never recover from that. It's the same with Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly has come to the conclusion I cannot win at the highest level at Notre Dame. We've talked about it before on this show. I talked about it on Tuesday's show. There is no reason that a small Catholic school in Indiana with the academic standards that Notre Dame has should be competing at the highest level of college football in the modern era. The fact that Brian Kelly had them five straight 10-win seasons, two playoff appearances in the last three years, that is about as good as it gets, but we also see what happens when they get on the field with these elite programs like Clemson, Alabama, LSU, whoever. Although I actually think he's had a ton of success against LSU. But I just bring this up to just very simply say, I think both of these guys hit the same, hit the same thought process of where they were at. I could stay here, my job's not in jeopardy, I'm happy here, all that. But if I want to win at the absolute highest level, there might be something else out there for me, and there might be something else out there for me that gives me a better opportunity to win at that highest level. For Lincoln Riley, I think it's the pathway specifically, avoid the SEC, stay in a conference where there is not all of that elite competition across the board, and at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly, he's going to the SEC saying the pathway is tougher, but I'm going to get such better players that if I can just get into this playoff once every three or four years, I think I'm going to have the team that's good enough to win it. So with that said, as I thought about that, I then thought of a next fun question, which I posted on my YouTube channel. You can do all sorts of cool stuff on YouTube, but I put up a poll. I said, which coach, which new coach do you believe has a better chance to win a college, uh, to win a national championship, to go to the college football playoff and win a national championship at his school? Or I take that back. What I asked on YouTube was this. I said, which coach will win a national championship at his new school first? Is it Lincoln Riley at, at USC or is it Brian Kelly at LSU? Because I think each has unique benefits. I think each has unique drawbacks in their specific positions. And so let's talk about it. Let's break it down because I think it's a fun conversation. Who has the better chance to win a national championship first at the respective new school, Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly? Let's start with Lincoln Riley. And I think the pluses on Lincoln Riley are very obvious. One, he was already recruiting especially at the skill positions at an insane level, okay? This was the guy that took three straight transfer quarterbacks and made them Heisman Trophy winners, or Heisman Trophy finalists. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray won it. Jalen Hurts went to, uh, went to New York as a Heisman finalist and is now a starting quarterback in the NFL. And what Lincoln Riley was able to do with that was springboard it to where he had it at Oklahoma where he could now recruit the best quarterback and the best wide receivers in the country to come to Oklahoma. 
Well, guess what? You what? Guess what? Southern California has an abundance of more than anything. It is quarterbacks and skill position guys. I talked about it the day that Lincoln Riley got the job. But when you go back to those great USC teams of the Pete Carroll era, and listen, I'm not enough of a college football historian. I can't say, uh, you know, who was playing quarterback with OJ and, and, and Charles White and all those guys that won Heisman's. But what I can tell you is in the modern era of college football, USC every single year during that great run under Pete Carroll had a first-round quarterback from Southern California that was good enough to win him a national championship. First, it was Carson Palmer who won a Heisman. Then it was Matt Leinart who won a Heisman. Mark Sanchez was a first-round pick. Then a kid named John David Booty, who was the number one overall quarterback in his respective high school class, even if he didn't ultimately have too much success in the NFL. And it wrapped with Matt Barkley, who is still in the NFL all these years later. All those kids, all from Southern California, all went to USC. Well, what's USC's problem right now? They're losing all their great players, especially the quarterbacks, to these other schools. Just think about who has come through Southern California the last couple years and left to go play other places. Bryce Young, the Heisman favorite from Pasadena. He was actually committed to USC. I think that story's a little bit blown up. I think he probably would have ended up there, but JT Daniels was committed. He gets hurt. Keaton Slovis takes over, and Bryce Young says, this Keaton Slovis kid balled out. It might be three or four years until I see the field. As it turns out, he would have seen the field much quicker, but Bryce Young is from Southern California. C.J. Stroud is from Southern California. D.J. is from Southern California. Uh, missing one. Matt Corral is from Southern California. J.T. Daniels, who may, who knows, by the end of the season, may get some run at Georgia, depending on what happens over the next three weeks uh, between the SEC championship game and the college football playoff. But the point I'm trying to make is that the quarterbacks to win a national championship are right in your backyard. You don't need to go get on a plane. You don't need to convince somebody to fly cross-country. Now, if that elite quarterback is available and you want to go get him, you absolutely can. Caleb Williams, of course, who just uh, was with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, he is from the Maryland area. I don't know what Caleb Williams' future holds, but I think if he wants to come to USC, they have a spot for him, even though they have a very good freshman quarterback in Jackson Dart. And so you look at the fact that the quarterbacks are right there and that the skill positions guys are right there. How about this, by the way? I looked this up, and I was absolutely blown away. So Lincoln Riley, since he took the job, has been talking about all the great talent in high school football in the state of California. Um, I looked it up today just for fun because I was curious. The number one running back in the high school class of 2022 and the number two player overall is a kid named Raleigh Brown. You know where he's committed to? Oklahoma. And Lincoln Riley came in to visit with him and his family as I record here, and who knows if it'll change between now and by the time you listen to this. He is committed to Oklahoma, and I suspect that he will decommit. This is one of the top two, the, the second-ranked running back in high school football from Southern California, modern day in Santa Ana, about an hour from where I'm recording right now. Number two running back in the state, number two player in the state committed to Oklahoma. That guy's going to be a Trojan next year. Then... I went ahead and looked at 2023, and this blew me away, okay? I told you the other day that Malachi Nelson, the number two ranked quarterback in the high school class of 2023, was committed to Oklahoma and that he was from Southern California. He has since decommitted, and the expectation, of course, is that he is going to go to USC. The only quarterback, by the way, ranked ahead of him in 2023, uh, yeah, it's Arch Manning. You may have heard of him, Peyton and Eli's nephew. So on top of that, here was what blew me away. Of the top five players in Southern California in 2023, so kids that are currently high school juniors, three of them were committed to Oklahoma. Three of them. So let me ask you, 
Do you think they were committed to Oklahoma? Do you think they liked the Applebee's in Norman? Or do you think that they were committed there to play Lincoln Riley, Malachi Nelson, again, the quarterback, and two wide receivers, Makai Lemon and DeAndre Moore, both committed to Oklahoma? I'd suspect they now be at USC. And so I think what you have now is a scenario where a couple things. One, all the skill position kids are going to want to come from Southern California, play at USC for Lincoln Riley. I do believe he'll still be able to recruit nationally if he is so inclined. Every high school wide receiver and quarterback is going to want to play for him. And now he has access to, I believe, the difference makers on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line needed to win a national championship. So when you're thinking about what gives Lincoln Riley the edge over Brian Kelly, I think that's number one. I don't know if it's number one, but it's a reason. He now had, he was going to get the best high school quarterbacks and wide receivers anyway. Now he actually has the defensive linemen, the offensive linemen, guys like that. Uh, remember, USC has produced plenty of O-linemen and D-linemen over recent years. Le uh, Leonard Williams is in the NFL. Tyron Smith is in the NFL. Now Lincoln Riley has access to those guys here in Southern California. I think the second reason, if you're picking who's going to win a national championship first, Lincoln Riley at USC or Brian Kelly at LSU, I think the second part is obvious. The pathway for Lincoln Riley is so much easier. And I will say, I don't think that Pac-12 is quite as bad as people make it out to be, especially at the top, but they haven't had that one elite team, right? That, that was why Lincoln Riley, I believe, left Big 12 in the first place, because he was that elite team in the Pac-12, and so rather than going to the SEC, where I believe he's at best, best the fifth, sixth best program in the country, or in the conference when you factor in how good Florida, Florida could be, how good Georgia is, how good Bama is, how good LSU is, Oklahoma was, was going to be rolling a, a boulder up a hill in the SEC. And so I bring all that up to just say, just bring it up to just simply say, is that I, I look at this situation and I just say the pathway in the Pac-12 is easier. Some people said he's ducking the competition in the SEC. I think it's smart. I think it's tactical. I think if you can make your life easier, you do. I can tell you this, even though he never said it publicly, when those reports came out that Clemson and Florida State were, were reaching out to the SEC, you know who was the number one person against it? It was Dabo Sweeney from Clemson because he knew how much easier life was for him in the ACC than going to the SEC. I could tell you that for a fact I'm 100% positive. I bring it up with Lincoln Riley in the Pac-12 because that Pac-12 pathway is awfully easy, baby. I mean, right now, Oregon is recruiting at a high level, but they haven't quite put it all together yet. And I do kind of start to wonder if Mario Cristobal couldn't do it now with USC as bad as it was, is he ever going to be able to do it? Because so much of his recruiting base has been Southern California. So you got Oregon. UCLA is good under Chip Kelly, but let's be honest, they're not elite. Um, beyond that, you know, you start to look around. Utah, really tough physical program, but USC at its best is a better program than Utah with a higher upside. Kyle Whittingham, I think, does as good of a job as anybody, but at the same time, they don't have the upside. They can't recruit the caliber of player that USC can. And so when I look at Lincoln Riley's case, I think it's pretty compelling. Already going to bring in great quarterbacks and great wide receivers. On top of that, he is going to have access to those offensive and defensive linemen that he needs to have success. It remains to be seen. It will be interesting, but I am so excited to see what this guy can do at USC. Now let's get to Brian Kelly, because I think when I pose this question, I think most people naturally assume the answer of who is going to win a national championship first, Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley. The answer is Lincoln Riley, USC, the pathway's easier. I actually am not sure about that, and let me explain why. First of all, when it comes to Brian Kelly, I will say this. He is inheriting a much better situation than Lincoln Riley is, okay? Remember, LSU won a national championship two years ago. Uh, last year, they go 5-5 five and five in a COVID year. And this is under complete chaos, corner, uh, coordinator changes, blah, 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 whatever. But what I would also say, 
Let's look at LSU this year. For what a what a dumpster fire it was. Let's really take a deep dive on LSU this year because they went six and six. They beat Florida. They beat Texas A&M. They lost to Arkansas in overtime. They lost to Alabama by six, in which they held Alabama to five yards, six yards rushing. And they lost to Auburn by five in a game that they went into the fourth quarter with a nine-point lead. And so I bring it up because just think about that. LSU in a disastrous year in which they had to fire the coach. They lose to Auburn by five in a game that they led double figures, or they led by two scores going into the fourth quarter. They lose by six to Bama at Bama. They lose by three to Arkansas at home. And so I just bring it up to say, I'm telling you, they're way closer than any of us want to give it, give them credit for, and that was after all the injuries that they're dealing with. Now, I understand that they've had some transfers since then, and they've lost some guys, and Derek Stingley's going pro, so it's not to say that the, the, the team that Ed Orgeron ran out of the tunnel with at the Rose Bowl to open the season is the one that Brian Kelly is going to run out of the tunnel with, but there is some talent in that locker room, and the crazy part is, the best thing maybe for Brian Kelly, a lot of that talent... Um, you know, is talent that that is young that was forced into action maybe before it should have been. On top of that with Brian Kelly, the other reason that I think you can make a compelling case for him is a couple things. One, he's an established program builder, right? And you can criticize him and you can say this and he's weird and he says weird things and he's not great in front of the media. This guy just at the FBS level has built three programs into championship caliber contenders, okay? One, Central Michigan. You know how Butch Jones keeps getting all these jobs? It's because he took over what Brian Kelly had at Central Michigan. From there, he goes to Cincinnati. His final year, they're 12-0. I've said it before. I was at UConn, uh, or I was uh, at least living in Connecticut during the tail end of Brian Kelly's run at Cincinnati. He was incredible. His final year, they go 12-0. He leaves before the Sugar Bowl. Uh, but I just bring it up to say, last year, 12-0, they're steamrolling everybody till they play Tim Tebow in Florida in the Sugar Bowl to end their season. And then finally, this Notre Dame deal. And so you can say a lot of things about Notre Dame, but what I would say is this, and, and the AD even admitted it during the press conference uh, talking about Brian Kelly on uh, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Tuesday morning, I guess it was. He said, look, I was here for the Brian Kelly um, coaching search, and the number one priority on our list when we went out looking for a coach that year, we had to go find somebody that knows how to build a program. This program is already built. This program is as healthy as it's been in a long time. Now, he didn't say this. I'll say it. This program is as healthy as it's been basically in my lifetime as a college football fan. I started remembering watching college football about 94, 95, 96. This is right now the best that the Notre Dame football program has ever been. Now, they've had better years than this year, but the health of the program overall is thanks to Brian Kelly. We can criticize him, but I say the stats all the time. 44 and 16, 44 and 6 over the last four seasons, 43 and 2 over the last four seasons against everyone other than Alabama, Clemson, Georgia. And that's the last point that I want to bring up. Everybody says, well, you know, he hasn't been all that good against the the, 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 the elite teams in college football. I think the, the stat is, I think he's like 3-8 and eight against uh, top 10 teams, and most of those losses are not even competitive. What I would say is this. I would venture to guess he went in with less talent in just about all those games and I know we're gonna have some Notre Dame fans listen oh what are you so you're talking about us like we're sisters of the poor like we're Louisiana Monroe like we're terrible I get that but what I would tell you is if you break it down at its most fundamental level Notre Dame doesn't have the talent of Georgia Notre Dame doesn't have the talent of Clemson Notre Dame doesn't have the talent of Alabama and that's why Brian Kelly left in the first place because you probably just can't build a team that can routinely compete for national champion you could you could go 11-1 and one and beat North Carolina and beat Stanford 
but can you build a team that is built to beat Alabama and Clemson in back-to-back weeks, Clemson and LSU in back-to-back weeks, Ohio State and Clemson in back-to-back weeks? I don't know if you can in this era of college football at Notre Dame. And so I bring it up because everyone's talking about, oh, the fit. Oh, he didn't beat this team. He didn't beat that team. What's he going to do against Saban and Jimbo and Lane Kiffin? And I get all that. But I would also tell you this. I was talking to a buddy of mine who played – he played at an SEC school, and we were texting back and forth, and he's like, ah, you know, I don't know. I'm not sold. What I would tell you is, one, first of all, LSU just hired the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football. That's one. Two, on top of that, what I would also say, and I don't think this can be undersold, is the fact that uh, he won every game, literally the last four years, he basically won every single game that he was supposed to. The games that he didn't win were ones where basically the other team had more talent than him. And so I thought about it like this, and I explained it to him like this. I said, look, you can criticize Brian Kelly. He's not Mr. Personality. He's not larger than life. He's not Mike Leach. He's not Coach O, certainly. But let me ask you this. Give Brian Kelly... Kirby Smart's talent the last four years. Do you believe that he could have done as good or better than Kirby Smart the last four years? Because I believe at the worst, in a worst case scenario, he could have done as good as Kirby Smart has done the last four years. And I believe he could have done better. You give him Kirby Smart's talent the last four years, I believe we're talking multiple playoff appearances. I believe somewhere along the way we're talking national championships. The one thing about Brian Kelly, he's not afraid to change quarterbacks. I think we're talking Justin uh, Justin Fields in a Bulldogs uniform. And so I just bring it up to say, give Brian Kelly Kirby Smart's talent. I'd like to see what he could do. Now let me ask you this. Kirby Smart, could he take Brian Kelly's talent and do what Brian Kelly did the last four years? 44-6 and six overall and 43-2 and two against everybody not named Clemson, Georgia, or Alabama. And it'd be weird because Kirby Smart would be coaching against his own hypothetical Georgia teams, but you get the point. Could Brian Kelly did do what Kirby Smart did over the last four or five years? with Kirby Smart's talent, because I think he could. Could Kirby Smart do what Brian Kelly did? I don't think that he could, and that's not even a knock on Kirby. I've kind of grown to like Kirby, to be honest, especially this last year. So I look at the scenario. I don't buy that he's not ready, that he's not fit, that he's not prepared. And so now it comes down to who do I think is going to win a national championship first? And I think I'm going to give you a little bit of a surprising answer. I think I'm going to go with Brian Kelly. I think I'm going to go with Brian Kelly because I think he is the exact guy that LSU needs at this point. And LSU... Talent is never the issue. At LSU, the issue is coaching, is development, is keeping everybody on track, everybody going in the right direction. I mean, that's the problem, right? Think about LSU. Les Miles, the most disorganized coach in the history of college football, seemingly. Five, ten win seasons at LSU. Coach O had never even been a coordinator anywhere, let alone, uh, you, you know, whatever. Failed at Ole Miss. Goes to LSU, wins a national championship in year three. And so I just bring up all of this to say, when I look at this scenario, I, I like Brian Kelly because I think he's coming from a, a place where he has, he has a program that's already built in a better way than USC is. USC is a mess right now. If you haven't seen them, they actually play one more time this weekend. They are a total dumpster fire right now. Two, what I would also say is I know the path is tougher, but you're also giving Brian Kelly better players. And so if you ask me over under who makes more playoff appearances the next five years, I think you can make the argument of Lincoln Riley. But I also think Lincoln Riley, especially early in the USC tenure, could run into a lot of what he ran into at Oklahoma, where you steamroll uh, Colorado and, and, and Oregon State and Oregon 
and then you get to the playoff and you're playing LSU and Clemson and it's not the same level of competition. That's what happened at Oklahoma. Oklahoma beat Kansas State and they beat Iowa State and they beat Oklahoma State and they beat TCU. Then they get to play the big boys and they can't handle it. Brian Kelly and LSU are going to be playing the big boys all along. So while I don't know that they will have as much success uh, making the playoff as Lincoln Riley, I do think if you're asking me, I have to bet on one of them right now. The guy that has built multiple programs into championship contenders, the guy that is starting from a better spot, and most importantly, the guy who has done this before uh, and the guy who, who ha- will have a tougher pathway while in the regular season will be better prepared for the postseason, I'm going to go with Brian Kelly. Wow, what a fun opening segment. This is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk about what's next at Notre Dame. What's next at Oklahoma as these two marquee fan bases, old programs, organizations, whatever you want to call them. They're looking for new head coaches for the first time in a long time. We had two months to figure out who USC was going to get. We had two months to figure out who LSU was going to get. Now, Oklahoma, Notre Dame on no notice have to find a new head coach. I will be back to talk about it all. That's coming up next. All right, we're going to get back to football in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our favorite sponsor and your ladies' favorite sponsor. That's right. I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. And here's the great part. In addition to all of the other amazing products that I've told you about, they have some new stuff for the holidays, including an all-new ultra-premium body wash and two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Fellas, ladies, I am just telling you, it smells delightful. I have some in the shower. I have never smelled better. And here's the best part. You know what it is. If you go to manscaped.com, if you use promo code TORUS, 20% off plus free shipping just by using the code TORUS only for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But first of all, before we get to the shampoo and conditioner, let's talk about what's going on down there. Fellas, I've talked to you about it before. Don't be gross. Don't be disgusting. You don't want that James Harden beard going on downstairs. You don't want that Santa Claus going on, beard going on downstairs. So let me tell you about Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Fellas, if you don't know what's going on, I get it. I've been there. You know what's even worse than not knowing what to do down there? When you're trying to do it with the other product. When it's dark, when it's this, when it's that, when you're in the shower, you're trying to shave, you cut yourself, Nick scratches, cuts. No, you can't have that. Thankfully, that's what the Performance Package 4.0 is for. A number of different products to have you looking good and smelling good down there. Performance Package 4.0 includes the Signature Lawnmower 4.0, which is an electric trimmer for down there with proprietary skin-safe technology to reduce the cuts. It's waterproof. You could take it in the shower. You don't have to worry about leaving little hairs on the floor. That's gross, fellas. Lawnmower 4.0, part of the Performance Package 4.0. Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner. It also comes with a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers that'll leave your junk feeling fresh all day. As I've called it before, the perfect package for your package. Here's the cool part, though. In addition to the lawnmower 4.0, in addition to the ball toner, the ball spray, the ball deodorant, there's some new products for the holiday season. Manscaped has dropped the ultra-premium body wash. Listen, I just said it. I'm going to tell you again. They sent me a package. They sent me some of this stuff. 
It smells amazing. You'll come out of the shower. Uh, your lady won't be able to keep her hands off of you. You won't be, I, I don't want to say you won't be able to keep your hands off yourself, but you might not be able to. Not my business, what you do in your personal life. I'm just telling you, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Ladies, the code works for you too. And I am telling you, the premium body wash and the two-in-one shampoo, absolutely incredible. The two-in-one shampoo also comes with key ingredients, benefits, all sorts of good stuff, hydrating, nourishing, etc. As good as, not even as good, better than any product that you are going to get anywhere else. Again, it's the holiday season. Fellas, you deserve to spoil yourself. Ladies, you need your man looking good, smelling good, feeling fresh, looking fresh, down there, up there, wherever. Manscaped.com is the answer. You got the Performance Package 4.0. That includes the Lawnmower 4.0 Electric Razor. That includes, on top of that, the new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner and the body wash. It's incredible. It's amazing. And here is the best part. If you go to manscaped.com and you use promo code TORS, you got to use promo code TORS, you get 20% off plus free shipping courtesy of Manscaped just for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So go to manscaped.com, promo code TORRES, uh, and get all the good stuff, including the brand new two-in-one body shamp- shampoo and conditioner, as well as the body wash. Your balls will thank you. I will thank you. Manscaped.com, promo code Taurus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Fun segment, I thought, with Brian Kelly at LSU. Uh, Lincoln Riley at Notre Dame but with that said let's switch gears and let's talk about a little bit of 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 the the destruction that those two have left behind Lincoln Riley in Norman Oklahoma Brian Kelly in South Bend Indiana because it's so interesting right it's like like in what I do in the media when something is big as juicy as meaty as Lincoln Riley going to USC or Brian Kelly going to LSU happens you immediately like that's red meat to a line you want to jump on it you want to go you want to start chewing it up and spitting it out But then you wake up and you realize, wait a second now, USC and LSU have filled their coaching jobs, but that means that two of the other elite head coaching jobs are now open, as Notre Dame, of course, is looking for its first head coach in 12 years. Oklahoma is looking for its first head coach. How about this? They have not done a true coaching search in Oklahoma since the 1990s, okay? Last time they did a true coaching search, they hired Steve Spurrier's defensive coordinator, Bob Stoops. He stays there from 99 till about 2017. Lincoln Riley takes over from 17 to 21. Next thing you know, they're doing a head coaching search. I, I did the math. Florida has had six head coaches since the last time that Oklahoma did a true coaching st- search. Steve Spurrier, Ron Zook, Urban Meyer, Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen, Billy Napier. I guess by technicality, it's seven. Seven head coaches since they have done their last head coaching search. Then there's Notre Dame, who, like I just said, it's been 12 years of Brian Kelly, and so now you have these two marquee programs that are going into a head coaching search, and the difference between them and LSU, there was no plan. There was no idea. Like, like Oklahoma's AD was not sitting there thinking for a month, hey, i got to figure out who my next head football coach is, right? Like, LSU had a, a full two months. USC had a full three months. Oklahoma had, like, an hour's notice. Notre Dame, I guess Jack Swarbrick, their AD, said that, yeah, maybe we had a little bit more's notice. But the point I'm trying to make is these are two elite jobs, both of which are open, and both of which are open under short circumstances. So let's get into each. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about them. I will say, especially with Notre Dame, I did do a video on YouTube. You can check it out there if you want some more in-depth stuff with Notre Dame. But let's start with Notre Dame. Let me start by saying this, is that for all the criticism that we have of Notre Dame, and for the fact what I just said about Brian Kelly, that I think that he felt like he hit a ceiling there, it's still a great job. 
And it's still a job that a lot of guys in this business covet, especially guys with Midwest ties, especially with guys that like especially like like it is a very coveted job. Yes, Brian Kelly had ru- felt like it had run its course there for him, but that does not mean that it is not going to be a very in-demand job. And then like I just said a minute ago, what's going to be especially interesting is that this is a much better job than it has been every time it's been open over the last two decades. Jack Swarbrick, the AD, said it himself during the press conference on Tuesday morning, which I watched. He said, look, I was here when we hired Brian Kelly. When we hired Brian Kelly, when we went into that search, before we even got Brian Kelly, our number one job was to find a program builder, a guy that could take something from the bottom and help build it up to the top. Well, it's built now, and we are going to have an opportunity to get a really special guy. And so with that said, let me jump into some candidates that come to mind for me. I think there's one super obvious one. There's one guy that should be obvious that I don't know if he even is at this point. And then from there, there's a couple other ones. So the super obvious one, no doubt about it, is Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati. And the reasons why are pretty simple. The first one, he is a really, really, really good good head coach. I couldn't believe this when I saw this. It's only Luke Fickle's fourth year as the head coach at Cincinnati. Over that time, he has gone 47 and 14, or this is his fifth year, I guess. So 47 and 14 overall, last four years. 11 and 2, 11 and 3, 9 and 1 last year in a COVID year, which included an undefeated regular season, winning, uh, loss in the Peach Bowl to Georgia, and a 12 and 0 regular season right now. So, one, he is a darn good coach. Kind of has a little bit of, I don't want to compare him to Brian Kelly because they're such different personalities, but very structured, very organized, very disciplined. I think he is going to be a home run if anyone can ever convince him to leave Cincinnati. And the thing that's interesting, too, about Luke Fickle, because of those Midwest ties, which I've talked about a million times on this show, there are really only a couple jobs that really make sense for Luke Fickle to leave Cincinnati for, right? Just think about it. You know, the LSU job opens up. Anyone that knows Luke Fickle was like, he ain't going to, he ain't going to the bayou. He ain't in crawfish. He ain't doing that. USC, oh, he's not Hollywood. He's not LA. He's not sitting in traffic. That's not who he is. That's not what he's about. And so because of it, the idea has kind of been Luke Fickle's only going to leave this, this job at Cincinnati for like one, two, maybe three places. Remember also, by the way, Michigan State, when Mark D'Antonio retired, they hired Mel Tucker. Their first choice was Luke Fickle, and he actually said no to Michigan State. So if you're saying no to Michigan State, which is a mid to upper tier Big Ten job that now pays $9.5 million a year, you know that he's really only looking for one to two places, probably in the Midwest. I've mentioned it before. He has lived all but one year of his life in the state of Ohio. I think the obvious first one is Ohio State. He was an intern there for one year. It did not go well, but he obviously stayed on under Urban Meyer, learned a lot, and now he's a lead head coach. And I think the other one that's super obvious is Notre Dame. I think this is one where if they call, he absolutely has to listen. And I think he'd be very interested in that job. Penn State may be another one, but there aren't very many. Here's the issue. Luke Fickle's probably going to the playoff this year if they win Saturday against Houston. Now, I'm not sold that they're going to beat Houston because I think Houston's a really good team. But if they win that game, I don't think... Luke Fickle seems too genuine to me to leave his program kind of, uh, you know, in the lurch the way that Brian Kelly did. Like, Brian Kelly was like, yeah, I know we can make the playoff. I'm out. Luke Fickle isn't going to do that. Luke Fickle isn't going to take the greatest moment in the history of Cincinnati football and make it about him and say, I'm bouncing, I'm out. Cincinnati, it was fun. Deuces, I'm headed to South Bend. And so with the Notre Dame deal, I think it's just going to be fascinating. I think, one, Notre Dame fans, you should be rooting for Cincinnati to lose this week, okay? I know Cincinnati is the only loss you had all year. I know it looks better for you if they continue to win. 
You want them to lose because if, if Cincinnati wins this game and if they go to the playoff, it means that realistically Luke Fickle is probably not going to be available to become your head coach until January 1. Well, we've talked about the recruiting. We've talked about the National Signing Day being on December 15th. You cannot wait until January 1 if you are Notre Dame to replace your head coach. The bottom line is Notre Dame has right now the number, as I record here, and it might change because they're probably going to get a few decommitments. Right now they have the number four recruiting class in the country. The only, this is insane. The only schools that have a higher ranked recruiting class right now, according to 24-7 sports, are Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. That's it. Of every school in America, Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M are the only ones ranked ahead of Notre Dame. And if you're Notre Dame, you can't wait until January 1st to even talk to Luke Fickle, let alone for him to accept the job, because all your recruits are probably going to be gone and committed elsewhere by that time and ready to go somewhere else. And so I bring that up to just say, I don't know if Notre Dame can wait. And on top of that, I don't think Luke Fickle is going to keep them waiting, because just think about it. If Notre Dame doesn't hire a coach probably in the next week or so, then it becomes obvious they're probably waiting for Luke Fickle. I mean, it's possible they're waiting for somebody from the NFL, but it's possible that they're waiting for Luke Fickle. So it's a weird situation where Notre Dame fans have probably rooted against Cincinnati all, or probably rooted for Cincinnati all year because it makes them look better. It helps their resume. I think you better be rooting against Cincinnati this weekend. Hope that Cincinnati loses. Hope that Luke Fickle is potentially available. And then you see from there if he's willing to leave. The second name that immediately came to mind for me, and I'll say it's interesting, um, I don't know if it's going to happen, which I think is insane, is the current defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, who ironically was Cincinnati's defensive coordinator last year under Luke Fickle. But Clark Lee leaves to take the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. Brian Kelly hires Marcus Freeman. And like Marcus Freeman is just like universally respected in Notre Dame circles, in college football circles. And I think the thought kind of with Marcus Freeman was he was going to kind of be Notre Dame's Brian, uh, uh, Ryan Day Notre Dame's Lincoln Riley and that he'd be in the program for four five six years under Brian Kelly and then Brian H Kelly would hand him the keys to that program well now that process is expedited but he is an elite defensive coordinator an elite young head uh, assistant coach he will be a head coach at some point and most importantly he's kind of been the guy that spearheaded this entire recruiting process for Notre Dame and so naturally I would have thought that logically he would be a guy that they would consider now this is where it gets really interesting Jack Swarbrick the AD was asked about almost this exact scenario during his press conference on during his press conference on Tuesday. Do you know what he said? He was kind of asked like, "Will you take on an interim head coach?" And he said, "We're not going to add an interim head coach because we don't believe that it's necessary. Everybody in our program kind of knows their role, knows the structure, knows what's going on. And so rather than take on an interim head coach, uh, we're just going to let everybody stay in their role right now and then we'll kind of figure it out as it goes." But then he also added if we do take an interim head coach, that man will not be a candidate for the job. And so one, first of all, I think that's really, really, really dumb because you have a legitimately good candidate right there right now. And the AD just basically said, uh, yeah, I don't think that uh, we're going to be hiring whoever the interim head coach is. Now, it's possible, by the way, that you just don't name Marcus Freeman the interim head coach and then you name him the head coach. But it sounded to me like nobody that is currently on the staff would be taking over as the full-time head coach. I think that's stupid because, one, he's a really good candidate, and, two, you know what that does? That doesn't exactly motivate him to continue to work hard for Notre Dame. There's already a report that Brian Kelly is willing to make him the highest-paid assistant coach in college football to come to LSU, to come to Baton Rouge. Now the Notre Dame coach just said, the Notre Dame AD just said, you have no shot at this job. I think it's a bad look, and I'll just say maybe I misheard, maybe he was misquoted, maybe he misunderstood the question. I thought it was a really, really, really dumb decision on his part. 
Three other names that come to mind, if you don't get Luke Fickle and if you don't get Marcus Freeman, by the way, I think there's a possibility if you do hire Luke Fickle that Marcus Freeman goes and takes the Cincinnati job, that's another conversation for the, another day. If, I'll tell you this, if Luke Fickle leaves, Marcus Freeman is the overwhelming favorite to take that job. Number three, I would say really quick, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell from Iowa State. And I know it's easy to tear him down and they went 7-5 and five this year and they stink. I'm just going to tell you, Iowa State's a really tough job to win in. And this is a guy that throughout his time at Iowa State has built this program. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Iowa State was kind of like the, uh, you know, kind of like what Vandy is in the in the SEC right now. Kind of like what, um, I don't know, Arizona or Colorado is in the past. They were really bad. In his now, he's been there for six years. They're about to head to their fifth straight bowl game in his six years as head coach. That includes a nine-win season last year during COVID, three eight-win seasons, and a seven-win season. He's another guy like Luke Fickle. He's kind of Midwest. He kind of has a certain feel for certain jobs. There were reports that he was potentially going to get the USC job, and that never really felt like it made sense. Notre Dame makes sense for him, and I think he'd be pretty good. I don't think he's as, as, as easy of a sell as Luke Fickle. I don't think he's easy as a sell if you can get somebody from the NFL. But what I would just say really quick is I think if you can get Matt Campbell, you at least have to consider. A couple other names. One, uh, Pat Fitzgerald is the obvious one. Of course, that is another Midwest footprint guy that recruits high academic kids which I think is important in this job it's Jack Swarbrick the AD said point blank um you know he said point blank he was like look this job isn't for everybody uh we have to find the right fit for Notre Dame it's a unique deal it's not going to be for everybody Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern makes a ton of sense as far as I'm concerned uh he's he's in the Midwest, he's recruited the high academic kids. Now people will say, "Oh, you know, he uh, well, he's an alum at Northwestern. He'd never leave." Alums leave their schools all the time if it's a better job. Uh, uh, Chris Mack, of course, was at Xavier, which was his alma mater. He left for Louisville in basketball. It has happened before. So th- those are kind of the names. And then the only other one, which I haven't seen listed anywhere, I'll tell you this: I know that PJ Fleck from from Minnesota, a couple things. I feel pretty confident saying that he covets that Notre Dame job. Like, like that's one of the jobs, being a Midwest guy, that he is genuinely interested in and he would genuinely leave Minnesota for. And people say, you know, you leave Minnesota for everything. I don't think he's in a rush to leave Minnesota, but I do think if Ohio State calls, if Michigan calls, if Notre Dame calls, if Penn State, like those are the kinds of jobs that you have to listen to. And I would say like, like as critical as everyone seems to be of P.J. Fleck, Last year before COVID, he goes 11-2. and two. This year, he goes 8-4. and four. Like, he's a really good football coach. Now, you give him Notre Dame. You give him the, the kinds of players that he can recruit. He can recruit a higher caliber of player, even though the academics. I think he'd be really good at Notre Dame. Does he get him to playoffs? Does he get him to a national championship? I don't know. But he's one. I, I've, I haven't really seen his name put in those reports. I think he makes a ton of sense for that job. The one question is, can Notre Dame fans handle like the P.J. Fleck row the boat stuff? Because as long as they can, I think he'd be really good there. But those are the guys at Notre Dame. I think Oklahoma's kind of a different deal. Uh, because I think Oklahoma, I, I think it's going to be a tougher sell than people think because, because of the SEC factor. Because as early as next year, you're not a Big 12 coach anymore. You're not playing TCU and Iowa State. You're playing Auburn and Alabama. Arkansas is good, Florida, you're playing whoever you end up playing in the SEC, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a tougher sell. Now, in terms of names, I think there's there's a couple that, that obviously make sense. One, Matt Campbell, I just explained, he's kind of in that Big 12 footprint, probably more the Midwest than the Southwest right now, but I think he'd actually be a good fit at Oklahoma. Um, I will say, like, Bob Stoops is the interim coach right now, he's going to coach in the bowl game, which I think is awesome, I think that's really fun and goofy and different. 
I would make sure 100,000% that Bob Stoops is not interested in becoming the head coach again, even if it's just for a year or two to give the program a little bit of stability. Maybe that helps keep the Caleb Williamses, the Jalen, uh, uh, the, 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 all sorts of the kids that are in the program right now. Maybe that helps. Beyond that, you know, the Josh Heupel stuff has been interesting. I got myself in a little bit of trouble on Twitter the other day because I said one with Josh Heupel, and I said it the other day. Guy got fired at Oklahoma by Bob Stoops with the same AD that's there. Now he's going to go back to Oklahoma all, you know, with, with a smile on it. And I know he's an alum too, but he's going to go back with a smile on his face and say, thanks for almost ruining my career, uh, you know, boomer sooner. Like, I just don't see that. So that to me is something else to think about when it comes to uh, him as well. And then finally, what I would say about Oklahoma, uh, Brent Venables, who's of course the Clemson defensive coordinator has, has been there. Um, I don't, he doesn't seem to make a ton of sense to me, but who really knows? Uh, but yeah, those those are kind of the guys for Oklahoma. I think to me, if I had to bet money right now, it would be Matt Campbell. If I had to bet money right now at Notre Dame, I would have said Marcus Freeman, but it doesn't seem like they're going to go that way. But the last thing I would say, and I think this is saving grace for any Notre Dame or Oklahoma fan listening, just realize that for the right price, there are guys that you can't, you aren't even considering right now that might take that job. And that, that's like the one thing that we've learned this coaching cycle is that no coach is off limits. You're Notre freaking name. You're Oklahoma, okay? You are two of the 10 most successful programs in college football history. Go out, spend the money, go out with a blank check, say you're willing to pay whatever to get the right guy and make it happen. So do I think Notre Dame's going to get Luke Fickle? No. But if he loses this weekend, go to him with the Mel Tucker, Brian Kelly, 10-year, $95 million deal. Make him say no to $95 million. You know, if there's an NFL head coach that you think you can get, if there's an interesting college coach that I haven't thought of, just just pay the money. This is 2021. Nobody cares about it anymore. Nobody cares that Mel Tucker, who is, I think, 17 and 13 as a head coach, is going to make $9.5 million next year. That is the market right now for good head coaches in college football. And I do think that's the saving grace for both Oklahoma and Notre Dame. Go spend that money. USC and LSU proved that for the right price, you could get just about anybody. Uh, that's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. Uh, and let's let's wrap with a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I think this is a really fun segment. I think we'll have a really good time. A lot of stuff between college football and college basketball. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears. And I do want to hit on America's favorite segment. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And what I would say about where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong is this. First of all, a couple of things. One, a few of you, Torres, talk more college hoops. Well, one, I just did a segment on college hoops on Tuesday. I'll talk about it on Friday. I don't know that this time of year with so much football, we have to do college hoops every single day. Uh, so college hoops, more college hoops on Friday's show. But I do want to get to instead, and by the way, there's going to be some college hoops in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. So instead, let's get to... What is quickly becoming America's favorite segment. The masses were devastated when I didn't do it last week because I was traveling. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. The concept is very simple. One, yes, I did steal it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. It is a segment that he does on his show every single week. I love it. I have brought it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And the concept is very simple. There's a lot of stuff that I get right. And when I get it right, nobody loves to pat themselves on the back and give themselves a little cookie more than Torres does. But I also get a lot of stuff wrong as well. And so sometimes I got to give myself a little slap on the wrist and say, Torres, do better. And so where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, let's get into it. Where Aaron was right. Scott Woodward, LSU. I told you 
even before Coach O was fired, I said, this guy is the most fearless, aggressive AD in college sports. I said, I don't know who the candidates are. I don't know what's going to happen. But what I know is he is going to go after the biggest fish, the biggest names, the biggest possibilities for LSU's head coaching job. Money is not an issue. Years is not an issue. He runs coaching searches the way that a fan would, the way that the guy on the message board would, the way the girl in row 27B would. No name is off the table. No money amount is too much. If I can get the right guy for the job, I'm going to do it. He did it with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. He did it with Kim Mulkey, the basketball coach at LSU. And he did it again with Brian Kelly. And I'm not going to be honest. I was a little nervous. I thought I was going to look stupid. I thought he was going to get Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley goes instead to USC. And I sat there Sunday night into Monday. I said, did my boy Scott Woodward let me down? Oh, Scott Woodward did not let me down. He goes out and gets Brian Kelly the freaking winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football. And we don't need to talk a ton about the hire. I've talked about it a lot earlier on today's show and also on Tuesday's show. But at the end of the day, he was going to go after only the biggest names in football, and he was going to get one of them, just like he did with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, just like he did with Chris Peterson at Washington. And now he has brought the winningest coach in Notre Dame football history to LSU. I think it works for all the reasons that I talked about. But where Aaron was right, I told you, trust Scott Woodward. He's going to get it done. Where Aaron was wrong, as much trust as I had in Scott Woodward, I also trusted USC equally to screw this thing up. I told you. I said, look, I've been in, in L.A. for about 10 years now. I got here after Pete Carroll left, and pretty much everything that USC football has done since I've gotten here has turned into an absolute disaster. I got here the year that they were ranked number one in the country with Lane Kiffin, and they ended up 7-5 and five by the end of the year. Still the only school ever to start the year ranked number one, finish, undefe- finish unranked. Uh, I then sat there with bated breath after they got rid of Lane Kiffin, after they got rid of Coach O as the interim. I said, they're going to get a big name for their coach. And then they got Steve Sarkeesian. Then Sark was out in a year. Then they kept Clay Helton two years too long. And I just felt like it is in the USC football DNA to screw this up even though it's a good job. Instead, they go out and get Lincoln freaking Riley, and I have been dead wrong, and I could not be happier. Look, the bottom line, I've talked about it with this many times, but this is L.A. You are not only competing in L.A. with UCLA football. You are competing with two NFL teams. You're competing with two Major League Baseball teams, two NBA basketball teams, LeBron, Mookie Betts, Matt Stafford, who stinks of late, Sean McVay, Odell Beckham. You cannot be boring in L.A. Not only do you have to win, You can't win boring. Justin Herbert, I didn't even mention. Kawhi, I didn't even mention. Well, there's nothing boring about Lincoln Riley. Great young coach, fun style. He is going to fill the Coliseum. I cannot promise you he's going to win like Pete Carroll, but he was about as good of a hire as anyone could have possibly made in this cycle. Credit USC. I was wrong. I didn't think they could pull it off. They got Lincoln freaking Riley. Where Aaron was right. Let's talk Lincoln Riley because I told you for weeks. His name started to surface with this LSU job about three, three and a half, four weeks ago. And he denies it. He says, I love it here. He says, you guys know how I feel about this job. And I told you guys, even after that denial, his name stayed in the news. And you guys sat there and said, Torres, stop talking about it. You guys in the media make stuff up. I said, look, when somebody's name is in the news this long, even after he denies it, it means that somebody wants it out there. Either an agent wants to get him a raise, either he wants leverage, either he wants another job, either he's mad at his AD, there is a reason that his name is out there. Fast forward a few weeks, and it is very clear that he was looking for another head coaching job or at least interested. I don't know the timeline. He says it came together quickly. I don't know if it took a little bit longer, but the idea is at some point, someone, I believe LSU, 
made it, figured out that he was willing to listen to other people other than Oklahoma. It got out there about three or four weeks ago. I said there is a reason it is still out there, and here we sit today on December 1, and Lincoln freaking Riley is your head coach. Where Aaron was wrong. So about three weeks ago, let's go on the field. About three weeks ago, Michigan blows a 15-point third-quarter lead, second-half lead to Michigan State, and I said, I'm done with Harbaugh. That's it. It's over. He will never win a big game that matters at Michigan. This is who he is. He's going to go 10-2 and every single year and not beat anybody of significance. Uh, yeah, I was wrong with that. Beats Ohio State, dominates Ohio State 42-27 to on Saturday. First win for Michigan over Ohio State since 2011. Now look, this isn't done. They still have to win the Big Ten title game against Iowa this week. If they don't, I don't want to say it was all for naught, but it completely changes the narrative. But give Jim Harbaugh credit. This was a guy that everybody had given up on, everybody had doubted on. I was the last guy in Harbaugh's corner, and I was officially out after Michigan State. Instead, he comes back, beats Ohio State 11-1. They are playing for their first Big Ten championship since 2003, I believe. Still got to beat Iowa, but I was wrong that he couldn't beat, win the big one and beat Ohio State. Where Aaron was right. Let's switch to some college basketball because where Aaron was right. Whenever one of these big-time high school players commits, I always just jump out and I just tell you how it is. One thing about me, you can like me, you can hate me, but I always tell you how I feel at that exact moment. And there are times when these high school players commit and I say, I just don't see it. I don't get what all the buzz is. I don't get what all the hype is. I really don't see it. When Paolo Bancaro committed to Duke, I told you, this guy is it. He is a difference maker. He is the X factor. I feel the same way about Derek Lively, a player in the high school class of 2022 who will go to Duke next year. Felt the same way about Cade Cunningham last year. When Paolo Bancaro committed to Duke, I told you, I said, I believe this guy could be an all-conference type player at the college level as a high school junior. I believed he was that good that early in the process. Well, Paolo and Duke are playing on Tuesday night, so I may look dumb by the time you hear this, but... Uh, at Friday night in Vegas, he was on the court with three or four future NBA players, and he was by far the best player in that game. Chet Holmgren versus Paulo Bancaro, it's a joke. It's not even close. It's not even a debate. Paulo Bancaro is not only the best player on Duke, he is not only going to be the number one pick, he is the best player in college basketball right now. He can do it all. Six foot ten, rips and runs, rips the ball down, dribbles the length of the court, throwing alley-oops to Mark Williams. There is nobody like him in college basketball. I'm mad at myself for not asking Coach K who he compares to because I had the opportunity to on Friday night in Vegas. But with that said, he's the best player in college football. I told you three years ago, this is one of those dudes. If he comes to college basketball, and at the time there's the G League and there's the this and there's that, I said if he comes to college basketball, this dude is different. Trust me, 20 points in the first half against Gonzaga, finishes the game with some cramps, but finishes with 22 overall. He is awesome. He is the best player in college basketball. Where Aaron was wrong. I said I thought Gonzaga was going to take a major step back this year. And when I say major step back, I didn't mean, you know, 15 and 16, but I didn't think they were going to be like number one seed national championship caliber good. Now, I don't think they're going to win the national championship, but I think they have a team that's capable of it. And the difference is what I talked about on Tuesday's show. They have better rim protection and better defense thanks to Chet Holmgren. But what I have been so impressed by, and we could criticize Mark Few for this, Mark Few for that, he doesn't win this, he doesn't do that. That program develops players as well as anybody. 
Andrew Nemhard could not dribble the ball at Florida without turning it over, and that's probably a lot on Mike White. He comes to Gonzaga. He's putting up 20 points against UCLA like it's nothing. So when I look at Gonzaga, I was wrong because this is a team that's capable of winning the national championship. I don't think that they will, but they are capable of it. They are just as deep. They have three or four guys that can get you 20 on any given night. Chet Holmgren gives you rim protection. He's a unique guy. I don't think he's quite as good or developed offensively as people think, but really, really, really talented player. Where Aaron was right. Remember after that Kentucky-Duke game on opening night, I said, and I give Kentucky fans credit, right? Because I give Kentucky fans credit because it would have been easy on opening night to just say, we stink again, we suck, we had an awful year last year, we're not good. And when you lose to Duke, I actually saw a lot of calm and a lot of restraint in Kentucky's fan base, and I gave you guys a lot of credit at the time. I said, I thought I was going to go on social media and everybody was going to freak the hell out because of that loss to Duke and Calipari's lost it and it's over. We have no chance. Everybody stinks. Fire everybody. And I said, Kentucky fans, you're going to be okay. That Duke team is just way better than we realized. Well, fast forward about three weeks. Duke is number one in the country. Kentucky is six and one. And every single game that they have played since Duke, they have won by at least 25 points. Now, they haven't played anybody great. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is when you talk about the teams that are as impressive as anybody early in college basketball. We're talking Duke. We're talking Gonzaga. We're talking Purdue. We're talking Baylor. And then right after that is Kentucky. 6-1, and one, only lost to Duke, number one team in the country. And by the way, since then, 25 points or more in their past six games, All 25-point wins or more in their last six games. I understand the competition hasn't been great. They play Notre Dame about 10 days from now. But I am just telling you, I give Kentucky credit because this is a really good team that is only getting better by the week, and they should be peaking in late December into SEC play. Really excited to see them play some better competition. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's wrap on this. During the offseason, I said UCLA is the definitive number one team in the country coming into this year. And a lot of you guys said, Torres, uh, did you watch them in the NCAA tournament? Did you see they got lucky? And I said, they didn't get lucky. They're really good. Well, I was at their game against Villanova where they were down by nine points with nine minutes to go. Villanova completely outclassed them and ran out of gas. I was also at their game against Gonzaga last Tuesday when they got run out of the gym by a clearly superior team. I don't think this UCLA team is it. And when I say it, I don't mean like they can't, you know, they're not like, I, let me put it this way. I think they're one of probably the 12 to 15 best teams in the country. I think they can make another Final Four run but they are far from perfect. They don't play good enough defense. I give Mick Cronin credit. He was critical of his own guys after that uh, Gonzaga-Duke, or the Gonzaga-UCLA game. I talked about it on Tuesday's show. He said, my guys aren't good enough. They're not tough enough. They're not playing hard enough on defense, and we're not going to win very many games playing like that. And so I give Mick Cronin credit, but I also give you guys credit too. I said this is the best team in the country. You guys told me I was crazy. I think, like I said, right now, I think they're somewhere probably between – 8 to 12, 10 to 15, somewhere in that range. Not to say they can't get there by the end of the season. I think they can get to New Orleans, go to a Final Four. I don't think they're one of those teams yet. All right, with that said, I think it's time for us to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Apple Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to music. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Leave a nice rating and review, would you please? Uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to music, leave us a nice review. That would be a very nice holiday gift to me. Speaking of holiday gifts, go find our friends, manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres. They will take good care of you. I'm just telling you, I, I'm not trying to give you the hard sell. That body wash and shampoo is delightful. 
Fellas, your woman will not be able to keep your hands off you. Ladies, you will not be able to keep your hands off that, y- your man. Because that is the most delicious smelling body spray, body wash, body wash, not body spray, body wash deodorant I have ever smelled. So manscaped.com, use promo code TORUS to get 20% off. But with that said, I think that's it for today's Air Tour Sports Podcast. Uh, I will be back Friday. Full championship week preview, full title game preview, probably a little more college basketball than today. With that said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. Shout out to Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. I will thank you. I'll be back later this week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.